in that tomb. So, John chapter 20, uh, verse 1. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and they don't know where we've put him. So it's very early, the first day of the week, and this massive, this huge stone that was rolled in front of the tomb to keep people from getting in, suddenly be removed. And Mary's first thought is, this is a break-in. Someone has broken into the tomb. These are thieves. They've stolen Jesus' body. So she runs. She finds Peter. Uh, she finds John, uh, who here is described as the disciple that Jesus loves. And she says, you know, someone's stolen the body. So they set off. They run off. Verse 3, Peter and the other disciple, they start for the tomb. Both were running. The other disciple, John, he outruns Peter a bit faster on his feet. He reaches the tomb first. But he did not go in. And Simon Peter came along behind him, went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. So you've got John, you've got Peter, who hear this news, and they run as fast as they can to the tomb. John, a bit faster on his feet, he gets there first. And as he stoops down, as he looks into the tomb, he can see the grave clothes or the strips of linen. And they're there lying by themselves. Now, when Peter arrives, he rushes straight in. He's probably you know, ready to take on any grave robbers, perhaps, if they're there. No, he's not afraid of going in. He rushes straight in. Uh, and this is what he sees. But he also sees the grave clothes that are lying there. But then he sees the cloth that has been wrapped around Jesus' head. And we're told it's still lying in its place, separate from the rest of the linen. So everything's there, everything's neatly arranged, but the body of Jesus isn't there. And so then there's this question, well, what has happened in the tomb? Is this a break-in or is it something else? Because if someone had broken into the tomb, they wouldn't leave the grave clothes lying there. Just in a similar way, if someone's going to break into an electronics store and they're going to steal a television... What you would not expect someone to do, they're not going to smash the window, break in, then carefully open the cardboard box, take the TV out, reseal the box, package it all away, do a nice little clean-up job, get the dustpan and brush out, and then head off with the TV. That's not what you do if you break in to steal something. You grab it and you steal it. And if grave robbers have broken in to steal the body, you're not going to leave the grave clothes, you're not going to leave the spices because they're the most expensive thing. And if the religious leaders have broken in to steal the body to just try and hide it from the disciples, you're not going to make it look like something strange has gone on. They're just going to take it. They're going to whip it away. This is not what you would expect if there was a break. -in. And so finally, the other disciple, John, who's been standing outside, and Peter's gone in, he's checked the place out. He goes in. And it says, he saw and believed. They, did not, they still did not understand from the scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. So as John goes into the tomb, now he sees what Peter saw. He sees the linen that he's in before, but now he sees the cloth that's there, separate 
from the rest of, of where the body had been. It's kind of the equivalent of a neatly made bed. Everything is there. It's in order. It's neatly arranged. But Jesus' body is not there. And when John saw, he believed. He saw this. He saw the evidence there. And he believed. Jesus has been raised from the dead. This isn't a break in. This is a break out. And yet verse 9 They still did not understand from the scriptures that Jesus had to rise from the dead. The disciples are still playing catch-up. John, he believes, but he's still playing catch-up. He doesn't understand that this was God's plan all along. He doesn't expect the resurrection. He comes to believe it, but it wasn't an expectation. When he ran to the tomb with Peter, he wasn't assuming the resurrection. He was assuming a robbery. But when he gets to the tomb, uh, when he looks at what is there, the evidence tells him this isn't a break-in. This is a breakout. Just like we were looking with these eggs. One was a break-in, and the other was a breakout. And, and eggs are something that we give at Easter time, isn't it? As a celebration of new life. Because an egg that has been broken out of symbolizes New life. There's a new duckling somewhere on the shore, unless Dan's got to it already, but I'm assuming he hasn't. Somewhere there is a new duckling. There's a sign of new life. That egg that has been broken out of. And a tomb is usually a sign of death. And yet because that tomb, the tomb that Jesus was laid in on that first Easter, it wasn't broken into, it was broken out of. It becomes this sign of new life. The death no longer resurrection life, Jesus' resurrection life. And in a short while, we're going to continue working through John 20. We're going to see the implications of that, what difference the resurrection makes. But on that first Easter morning, everything changed. Everything changed. And in that place of death, God brings about life. There was no break-in. It was a breakout. And because Christ is risen, the power of death is forever broken. Let's pray. Father, we praise you that that tomb was not broken into, but it was broken out of that Christ is risen, that he is risen indeed. Now may our focus this morning be on the risen and the exalted Christ. Give us eyes to see. How that first Easter morning changes everything. Amen. Jane's going to come and read. We're going to read John chapter 20, verse 11 through to 18. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. When they asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They they have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realise that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? 
Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord! And she told them that he had said these things to her. What difference does the resurrection make? What difference does the resurrection make in our sorrow? In verse 11, Mary stood outside the tomb crying. Because the power of death, it brings sorrow. Death snatches from us our hopes and dreams and, and people that we love. Now, people speak about loved ones going to a better place, now looking down on them, smiling, and yet there's no evidence that for that. It's wishful thinking. And because of sorrow, it's so overwhelming that we have to convince ourselves, we have to find a ways of convincing ourselves that death isn't the end. Otherwise, we would be completely overwhelmed. And, and through those wishful thoughts, it may offer some temporary It doesn't ultimately change anything. Sorrow cannot be removed by thinking. The only way sorrow can be permanently removed is if the power of death is broken. The power of death brings sorrow. But because Jesus is risen, the power of death is broken. And the resurrected Jesus meets Mary. He meets us in our sorrow. And when Jesus first appears to Mary, she mistakes him for the gardener. He calls her by name. She recognizes his voice. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus yet ascended to the Father. Go to my brothers and tell them, I ascending to my God. But to my Father and your Father, to my God and to your God. Now it seems Mary is holding on to Jesus, perhaps for fear that she might lose him again. Now we hold on to things, don't we? Things that we value, those that we love. We don't want sorrow to overwhelm us. We hold on to those things to keep them. And yet Jesus says to Mary, don't hold on to me. For I've not yet ascended. He's saying to Mary, look, I'm not going anywhere, at least not yet. You don't need to hold on to me for fear that you are going to lose me. I've not yet ascended. You can go, you will see me again. Sends her off with this message to the disciples, go, go and tell them that I am ascending. Because Jesus was going to go away again, but it wasn't a return to the grave. It wasn't a going away that would result in sorrow. Jesus said, I am ascending, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and to your God. 
And because Christ is risen, it means death, the grave, that's not where the story ends. Disciples for us, and we consider this on Good Friday, John 17. As Jesus prays, not just for his disciples, but for all who will believe through their message, Jesus says this, John 17, verse 24, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me. The glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Jesus says, I'm ascending. And I'm I'm going away, but not to the grave, not to this place of hopelessness. I'm ascending, and my my purpose is that you will be with me. That's why I'm ascending. I'm going to my Father, to your Father, to my God, and to your God. As the hymn says, it's the sky, it's the ascension, to be with Christ forever, not the grave. The sky, not the grave, is our goal. And because Christ is risen, if we are in Christ, then it means we create the final say. And so sorrows will cease. One day, every tear will be wiped away. There will be no more mourning. There will be no more sadness because there will be no more death. Now, there are some tears, some sorrows that will not be wiped away in this life. But one day those tears will be wiped away. Never to be remembered anymore. Sorrow will cease. And not because of wishful thinking. But because Christ is risen. Because death has been defeated. Sorrow will cease. Because Christ rules. Christ reigns. Let's pray. Jesus said, in this world, have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. The sorrow that we feel now in this life is real. And yet we thank you that because Jesus is risen, that sorrow is not forever. Will you help us to love one another as Christ us? To share in both joys and in sorrows, but always doing so in the light of the resurrection. Father, we continue to pray for the war in the Ukraine. Lord, we pray. We pray for peace. Oh, and we thank you that one day all conflict and sorrow will be brought to an end. And yet even now we pray for peace. Lord, for a true peace, not peace in the way that the world gives but the peace that comes through Jesus Christ, that you will be turning hearts towards Jesus. Lord, even now in our sorrow, may we, may all your people everywhere know the eternal and secure joy that is ours in Christ Jesus. Amen. We're going to sing again. Remember, That because Christ is risen, the grave is not the goal. But to be ready, we're going to continue again to John 20. Now all is going to come and read verses 19 to 23. 
On the evening that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you, as the, fa- as the Father has sent me, and I am sending you. And with that, he showed them. With that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. What difference does the resurrection make in terms of fear? Verse 19, the first, on the evening of the first day of the week, the disciples are together. The doors are locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. The power of death brings fear. And we can go through life uh, with this attitude, this attempt of self-preservation. Whether it's in our lives individually, uh, whether it's corporately together as a church. Now there's an increasing pressure on those who identify with Christ. Now, sometimes it can feel like the world is trying to hunt us down, seek us out, and to destroy us. And sometimes that is because of, of things that we brought on ourselves through our unchristlike, through our reckless behavior, a bit like Peter when he was in the garden, swinging the sword around, claiming to protect and to defend Christ. And yet, that's not why the disciples are hidden away, locked away in fear here. It's for fear of the Jewish leaders. Those who would come up with a plot to kill Jesus. And they fear that the same thing that has happened to Jesus is going to happen to them. The power of death brings fear. But because Christ is risen from the dead, the power of death has been broken. And the resurrected Jesus meets his disciples. He meets us in our fear. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they're not forgiven. And as Jesus commissions his disciples, his church, as he sends them out, he says he breathes, he breathes out. And he says, receive the Holy Spirit. And this language of breathing is the same language that we have in Genesis 2, where God breathes life into humanity at the very beginning. And so in a similar manner, Jesus is imparting this life to his disciples, to his church. Sends them out with these words. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now the language, the context of verse 23, tells us that this isn't about making decisions. This isn't about us deciding, I like you, your sins are forgiven. No, what you've done, I don't like you, I'm not forgiving your sins. This isn't about us being given the power to make decisions. This is about us being given the power to make a declaration. 
the declaration, the declaration of the gospel message to say that in Christ, in Christ Jesus, sins are forgiven. But apart from Jesus, there is no forgiveness. And it is a message that the world hates. It's a message the world considers intolerant, but it is a message that the world desperately needs to hear. But because the world is against it, because the world hates it, fear easy for us to remain silent. Notice verse 19. This happens on the first day of the week. Now attention is drawn to this, this imagery of weeks of a new beginning. Because in the resurrection of Jesus, it marks a new beginning. A new beginning, a new week, a new creation. The resurrection is all about New creation, one where death is no longer looming, where death is no longer ahead. Death is done, it is defeated, it is behind. And so his disciples, the church, as he breathes out, as he says, receive the Holy Spirit. That new life, the resurrection life is imparted to his disciples, an eternal life. A resurrection life that is breathed into mortal bodies. To fear overcome by our own resolve. Fear is overcome by the resurrection of Christ. The one who's defeated death. And now who sends his disciples out. Who sends the church out. With a message and with a power that is greater than the power of death. Because Christ is risen. Death is defeated. We're going to pray. Again, we're going to pray for the mission of the church. It's great that Rebecca is here this morning and able to join us because Rebecca is our mission focus this Sunday. So we're going to be praying for the work in Thailand as well. Let's pray. Colossians 3 says, Since you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Father, we thank you that we have a victorious Savior and that in him, new creation has begun. Father, we pray for the witness of your church. That we pray for ourselves. Uh, and this morning, we also pray for Rebecca and for the church in Thailand. We pray that during this period of the Thai New Year, that the church's focus would be on the new and enduring life that is in Christ, or the power of his resurrection. Or that they, that we, uh, would indeed know that power to go out with that message and with that power that is greater than the power of death. That we pray in accordance with the greatness of your power that you would be uh, at work in the lives of, of those that Rebecca and the team are working with those former prisoners that they would know and be transformed by the resurrected life of Christ. Father, we pray for ourselves or for the church in Thailand, for your church across this globe, that our hearts would be set on Christ. Now give us the courage and the power to live lives that honor, that rightly reflect Christ. And words that proclaim his lordship over all. 
And may everything that we do, whether in word or in deed, may it be done not from our own strength, but from the incomparably great power of the risen Christ. Amen. Let's stand and let's sing again for the cause. to the end of the chapter. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So, what difference does the resurrection make in terms of hopelessness? Uh, here's Thomas. Uh, he wasn't there with the twelve when Jesus First came, uh, and when they give this report that they've seen Jesus, he says, "Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails have been, if I, unless I put my hand in his side, I will not believe." Now, so Thomas seems to be saying, "Unless I see the resurrected Jesus, they here before me now, then I'm not going to believe that he's risen from the dead." Uh, but this term "belief" in the one context of John's Gospel takes on deeper meaning because belief isn't simply about believing a fact to be true or not Uh, in john's gospel belief is linked with this trust in jesus so just a few examples john 1 12 who believe in his name known as god john 16 for god so loved the world that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So in the way that John has put together this account, seems to be communicating uh, something of a double meaning in some ways in Thomas's words here. Unless I see Jesus risen from the dead, no, then I'm done. This is it. I, I'm, I'm giving up. I have no reason to hope of it is I, I just won't I will never believe unless I see him that's it I hope to trust the power of death crushes hope now we place our hope in many things don't we so many things and the question 
question we need to ask ourselves is, is that thing a good reason for hope? You can place your hope in, in money, in medicine, place your hope in religion, place your hope in yourself. There are no limit to the number of things that we can experience in this world that we can place our hope in. But we need to ask that question. Whatever it is, whatever it is this morning that you are placing your hope in, look at that thing and say, is it trustworthy? Is this thing, is this person, are they trustworthy? And a way to test that is what's their track record with death? Is it trustworthy? Despite the many things that we can hope in in this world, death comes to all. Death crushes hope. It extinguishes that flame of hope. The power of death crushes hope. But because Jesus is risen, the power of death is broken. And a resurrected, he meets Thomas. He meets us. In our hopelessness. Verse 27. Jesus appears to Thomas. He says put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand. And put it into my side. Stop doubting. And believe. And as Jesus appears to Thomas. Effectively he says. My resurrection. Is the reason for You want a reason to trust. You want a reason to know that I'm trustworthy. My resurrection is that reason. When Jesus stopped doubting, the word is unbelieving. Stop unbelieving. Stop untrusting. Believe and trust. And in the context of John's gospel, these words then, they take on this deeper meaning. It is a call to trust in Jesus, to trust in the one who has conquered death. Who indeed is trustworthy. And we might well very well say, oh, that's fine for Thomas. He saw it. He experienced it. What about us? That's what Jesus says in verse 29. Jesus said to Thomas, because you've seen me, you've believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now, Jesus doesn't say superior is the faith of those who believe without seeing. Sometimes maybe we read it that way, but that's not what Jesus says. What does Jesus say? Jesus says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Have you ever had that experience where you've missed out on something? Because you weren't in the right place at the right time. And afterwards, you know, your friends or maybe your family... Like, it's amazing. We had a brilliant time. And then come those crushing words. But you weren't there. If only you'd been there, you missed out. You know that experience? But Jesus says that's not the case here. That is not the case. Verse 29. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. If we just read on into verse 30. As Jesus says, it doesn't matter if you're not there at the right time, place. you have not missed out. 
Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And that's the blessing when Jesus says, blessed are those who believe who haven't seen. The blessing here, we're told in verse 31, is life. And it's life in Jesus' name. It is this eternal life. It is a life that is the other side of death. One that is not subject to death and to decay. It is a life that comes from Jesus, his resurrection, death-defeating life. And it's not a blessing that comes from being in the right place at the right time. It is a blessing that comes from trusting Jesus. Because Jesus has done everything necessary. Eternal life is guaranteed. Guaranteed to those who trust in Jesus. Because it's not tied to us being in that place in that right place at that right time. It's because Jesus was in the place that he needed to be at the time that he needed to be. Bearing our sin and then rising to new life. This is a certain hope. Because Jesus is risen from the dead. There are so many guarantees that you will experience in this life. Now people will make promises that they sincerely hope to keep but they can't. Companies will give you guarantees that they, they just ultimately cannot guarantee that they can keep them. Because in this world things are subject to decay and death. Death crushes hope. It crushes promises. But because Jesus is risen from the dead. Now, death and decay do not steal that promise. This is a promise that is certain and secure. So as Jesus says to Thomas, the resurrection, his resurrection is that reason for trust. Jesus is trustworthy. And if you're not trusting in Jesus this morning, I just encourage you to think, what are you trusting in? And how does it compare to Christ? Because Christ is risen from the dead. Death cannot snatch away the life that he gives. Because of that first Easter morning, Christ is risen. Death is defeated. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the certain hope that we have in Christ Jesus. And yet we confess that we so easily forget that. To worthless things that are powerless to save. And though many times we have been faithless, we rejoice that you remain faithful, that you are trustworthy and that you are true. And Lord, we look afresh to you. We pray that you would renew our vision of the resurrected, of the victorious Christ. But that our hope, that our trust would indeed be in him. Nor that we would see nor the true meaning of Easter as we look at the cross, as we look at the empty grave, that we would see Lord, your immeasurable love towards us and the immensity of your power. And that that indeed would be the foundation for our trust in you. 
Lord, you have given us no reason to doubt your love or your power towards us.